The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, thank you, Liz. Thank you, Liz, for that introduction. Uh, just want to mention one thing. It wasn't an Elvis Presley song, but she is correct in saying that our engagement had something to do with this stage in front of the entire student body at PCB at the time. So if you want to know more about that, just come up to me, come up to my wife, and you can ask us about that very thing. It's interesting for me to be here again in this, in this chapel, in this location, during a missions conference. My wife and I have served, and our family of, with four kids, we've served in missions now for the last 27 or so years. And the beginning of that journey, or a major part of the beginning of that journey, took place right here, right in this chapel, during a missions conference, when George Murray got up and he challenged us over the course of a week with a question, are you willing to take this following commitment to be planning to go, plan to go where God is calling all of us, plan to go wherever he's calling us, but willing to stay? A change of a paradigm. You might come in today and think, oh, this is missions conference. This is for somebody else. This is for others. But I want to tell you today, the Great Commission applies to every single one of us, including the concept of global missions. You may be called to Jerusalem or Judea right here in Philadelphia, and Pennsylvania, New Jersey, somewhere in this general locality. But God wants each of us to have a heart for the nations, because God's heart beats for the nations. And that's going to be the question that we're going to look at this week. If God's heart beats for the nations, the question to us is, does our, do our hearts beat in sync with God's heart? Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, that is a critical question. Do our hearts beat in sync with your heart? And our gracious Father, we come before you this morning and I ask that every person sitting in this room and even in the auxiliary room, Lord, that you would open up hearts today, this week, during different conversations over meals, open up our hearts to think about the Great Commission in a new way, to think about global missions in a new way, to open up our eyes to see the great needs in the midst of the culture and the times in which we live. Father, open up our minds and our hearts and help us to be ready and willing to say, here am I, send me. In Jesus' name, amen. February 24th was a very, very uh, um, ominous day in the history of Ukraine. It was the day that, that bombs began to fall at 5 o'clock in the morning on the city of Kiev, on the suburban towns of Erpin, and, and in places like Bucha, maybe you've heard about on the news, in places like Odessa, and even in western Ukraine at that time. At 5 o'clock in the morning, hundreds of missiles were launched and landed all over Ukraine. And families woke up in panic, in shock at what was happening. This unprovoked action of the Russian, the, the Russian Federation onto the people of Ukraine. And it's been a very, very difficult time. For me, 
I was, on February 24th, I was in Istanbul, Turkey. And what was I doing there? As Liz talked about, I've been involved in helping to mobilize and train up people in Eurasia, in the former Soviet Union, in Russia, in Ukraine, to help them to go to unreached places within that region, of which there are many, 300,000 individuals in unreached people groups, 300 million, I should say, in unreached people groups within that region alone. So there's a lot of need for that. And I was in Istanbul, Turkey, training Russian pastors and missionaries who were working among the unreached people groups of the former Soviet Union and even beyond. It's interesting to note that Russians themselves have access to many places that you and I don't have access to. So mobilizing them, training them, equipping them is an important thing to do. In a matter of speaking from a geopolitical perspective, most of those that are um, friends with Russia are enemies of the West. So there's access points for believers, for brothers and sisters in Christ, that God opens up doors. And when I came down on February 24th to breakfast, I saw my Russian friends, pastors, their wives in tears. I knew that the war had started. I had seen it on the news when I first woke up. But I came downstairs, and they were in tears because they had families in Ukraine. One of the leaders from the Baptist denomination that we work with in Russia, the same Baptist denomination in Ukraine, his father, so he's a leader in Russia, his father is one of the primary leaders in the Ukrainian Baptist Union, in the Ukrainian Baptist Church. His wife was crying as they're wondering what's going to happen to their family there. Russians were crying. And the, the, the tragedies that continued over the next days and weeks as bombs began to fall, as bombs fell day after day, as the, as the, uh, the long line of, uh, of vehicles began to flow in from the north and from the east and from different areas, there was a lot of fear. And a lot of people were running. This is actually the city of Erpin. It's hard to see everything, but the, the bridge had been destroyed to help stop the Russians from coming through. And what happened is it made it very difficult for people to cross over this one point at a river to be able to get to safety and to go further to the west. One of the couples that was stuck behind that broken bridge is this couple. They're from the city of Bucha, which is right next to Erpin. Vitali and Alina. And they were in, in that city of Bucha. They're involved in ministry. We had done ministry with them in the past, with Mission Eurasia, the organization that I work with, working with Roma children, with gypsy children, going into different villages within that whole region and sharing the love of Jesus with those that were desperately in need for Christ. And when the war broke out, I got a text from Alina. And she started to tell me day after day after day the different things that were happening, the tragedies that were taking place. It turned out that Alina and her husband ended up in the basement of a church in Bucha. And over the course of about a week after the beginning of the war, the numbers swelled in the basement of that church to 170. You imagine 170 people in the basement of a church. And she said, Don, most of these were not believers Probably 10, maybe 20% of us there were believers in that basement. And we made a commitment. We wanted to share the love of Christ, express the love of Christ. They set up this pot uh, that, they would, that they put on a wooden stove that they made, and they put soup in there, and that's how they were feeding 170 people. They made a commitment to each other 
to say, before we get out of this place, we want to see every person here come to Christ. And I've seen pictures and heard videos that she sent me of uh, sitting in the basement of this church, 170 people packed in, and they're reading their Bibles, maybe for the first time. Actually, many of them for the first time, reading their Bibles. God opened up doors in the midst of this crisis right from the very beginning. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to talk about the movements of God even in the midst of war. Because the movements of God in the midst of war, we can be reminded that God moves in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our crises, in the difficulties uh, that we encounter on a daily basis. She would send me pictures like this. This is outside the church on the second floor. She jumped upstairs and she looked outside and maybe you can even see down in the bottom left corner there's a soldier who, who identified her in that window. You can see him there looking up. But she's taking pictures of just outside that church of houses that are burning right next door. I also got a phone call from Hope Church, the pastor of Hope Church. We helped plant Hope Church in the early 2000s. My wife and I were church planning missionaries, Send with Send International, worked with Send for 25 years, and we had the opportunity and privilege to be able to be involved in a church plant. We loved our family. We loved what was happening at that church. And even this is just two years ago when I was able to visit that church and see some dear believers, that man in the top right corner there, he came to Christ the first year that we did our, that church plant, and it's wonderful to see how they're growing in Christ. And now, Pastor Andre, the pastor, there calls me and says, we're in crisis. We have 45, 50 people in the basement of our church. The bo first bombs that landed in Kiev landed 100 yards down the street from that church. 150 yards down the street from the apartment where our children learned to walk, learned, learned life, where they began to grow up. And this is that, this is that uh, particular apartment building. The war became very, very close and very real to our hearts. And my wife and I began to pray daily, diligently, watching the news, seeing everything that was happening there in Kiev. Of course, this is a picture from the basement of Hope Church, uh, a small pocket of the 4550 that were down in the basement there. Mission Eurasia, the organization that I work with, as you've heard, a Slavic organization, uh, and in that regard, you can listen to what Liz said. If you want to talk to us about missions, we're not mobilizing here, so we're a little bit different. Come on up. Talk to us. We're glad to share with you our personal experience, what God did in our lives. Mission Eurasia is an organization that works within the former Soviet Union, helping train young next-generation leaders to share the gospel, to be active in the church, using a program called School Without Walls, training people in, in different places all over the region with hundreds of centers where the training takes place. But our heart, our main center, was in the city of Erpin. And this is a picture of that center right there. Over the course of a few weeks, this became what was left of our center. But the ministry of Mission Eurasia... This place was a place where training took place, where people would stay, where administration would take place. There was a warehouse there with Bibles and scriptures, and all of it was gone. And you would think that the ministry would be over. Well, the day that the war broke out on February 24th, the missionaries, Ukrainians with Mission Eurasia, my Ukrainian teammates, 
they packed their families up in a van and sent them over the border to Poland. The men stayed behind. The men had to stay behind because there was a law immediately enacted, a martial law, that said that, that Ukrainians who were between the ages of 18 and 60 were not allowed to leave the country. So these wives, moms, kids, elderly, left, would leave the country in droves, heading over to Poland and other places. And while that was happening, our Mission Eurasia team, working on the, with the network of churches that we were already connected to in Ukraine, three, four hundred churches, thousands of volunteers, mobilized a network that was able to, I'm oh, sorry, this is the picture of the burned Bibles that we found once the city was, dis, the area was destroyed, burned by Russian troops. But we were able to begin to distribute food packages like this food packages that would feed a family of four or five over the course of a week. And since the war began about six and a half uh, months ago, yesterday was actually the 200-day mark of the war, Mission Eurasia has been able to distribute well over 120,000 of these packages to, for families of four or five, handing out uh, 500,000 pieces of literature in Ukraine, in Poland, in Moldova, God has opened up many doors in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials. That is how God works. I want to identify or point out to you today that God is at work, not just in Ukraine. In the chaos of the world that we live in, in a war there, in political crises that we see in America, in, 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 in uh, the, the recovering from COVID time period and the, and the, the difficulties of that, the political uh, tensions that exist between people, I want to point out and identify to all of us that God is powerfully at work among the nations. Matthew 24, 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end shall come. That day, this speaks of a promise, the gospel being preached to all nations, and when that day comes, and when all nations have heard, the day will come when the Lord will return. Then the end will come, and that day is approaching, and approaching quickly. You know, going back to Ukraine, you know, um, I think about the years of the former Soviet Union. The Soviet Union existed in, in the, the previous century for about 70 years. There was a time of great uh, persecution of the church. The church had to go underground. The church was unable to publicly worship. I've heard many stories of children who had to hide underneath the kitchen table while mom and dad believers would study the Bible. And they would hide under the table so that none of the neighbors would see that they were hiding under the table listening to Bible stories. Just last week in, in Poland, we had a friend come and visit us, and she was telling us, related to this same story, she was telling us that when she was a child, they had to take the shoes at the front door. They always take off their shoes at the front door. Always do that but they would have to take those shoes and hide them away in another room if they were having some kind of gathering there just in case someone were to show up. They wouldn't want the shoes to give away the fact that they were having a Bible study, that they were uh, learning about Jesus, learning about God, learning about his truth. In the last 30 years since the fall of the Soviet Union, the gospel has taken root in powerful ways in Ukraine. 
As a matter of fact, the, 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 the growth of the church in Ukraine is amazing. They have begun to send out missionaries all over the world. As a matter of fact, uh, it's very, very interesting if you, to realize that in the 90s and in the 2000s, most of the churches that were planted in Russia, in Siberia and Far East Russia, most, if not all, some say all, but at least most, were planted by Ukrainian missionaries. Ukraine is a, is a place where God has been on the move, raising up workers who respond and say, here am I, send me, and they go. And they stand as a beautiful example to us, and they're still saying it today, even in the midst of war. But you know, in the last 10, 12 years, also being involved with ministry in Send International, I've been involved in globalization of mission. So that's, that's uh, seeing where God is working and raising up a people that will go and share his glory in other places around the world. And so I would go and I would go to places like the Philippines or Thailand or um, uh, other places in Europe or Latin America or Africa and see that God was raising up workers from those places as well. God was working powerfully. God's heart beats for the nations. God's heart beats so that his glory would be known to all nations. 2 Peter 3.9 says, He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God's heart beats for the nations. The question for us is, does our heart beat in sync with God's heart? God's heart beats for the nations. Does our heart beat in sync with God's heart? If you have your Bibles or on your phones, I encourage you to open up to the book of Jonah. We're going to briefly be looking through this whole book over the course of the next few days. I love this book. It's a book that shares this picture of God and his work and his heartbeat for the nations. And it also reminds us to ask that question, does our heart beat in sync with his heart? Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. The word of the Lord was clear. Go to the city of Tarshish. Go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah goes the opposite direction. And as we begin to unpack the first chapter of Jonah, and we won't be able to read all this uh, in these days, but I want to encourage you. I know you're Bible college. I know you have a lot of homework, but it will take you about five, maybe seven minutes to read the book of Jonah. Do that over the course of this week. Do that maybe later, later on today. A great little book. The word of God comes to Jonah. He buys a ticket, runs the opposite direction, goes down inside the ship, falls asleep. In the midst of a great storm that God provides, he doesn't even wake up until someone comes down there and wakes him up. And they ask him, call upon your God, maybe you know what's happening. And he ultimately says, yes, I'm the one. I worship the God of heaven and earth who created all things that there is. And these, 
these sailors were shocked when he responds and says that because he had told them earlier that he was a Jew. He had told them earlier that, that, that he was running from God, and they were shocked. Ultimately, we know the story. He was thrown overboard. They hesitated. They didn't want to do that. But he was thrown overboard, and the storm ceases. God continues to pursue his prophet. You know, we look at this story, and you see Jonah as a man who's running from God. He's disobedient to God. He's not doing what God wants him to do. And often we think to ourselves, well, if that happens, you know, maybe God would turn and try another direction or another route. But no, God loves not just the nations, but he loves his prophet. And he follows him. He provides for him. He pursues him. He sends the storm. He sends a fish, ultimately, that, that swallows Jonah. Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and for three nights. Why would God do this? Why would he pursue Jonah? Because his heart beats for the nations. His heart beats for the nations. He wants, he wants the people of Nineveh to hear the truth of their evilness, of their sin. And he wants his people, he wants us to take that message to the nation of Nineveh. God is moving in powerful ways today. You know, one of the things I have an opportunity to do is also to travel to other places um, in the last 10 years to be able to travel to, to Thailand. Uh, I had an opportunity to go there one time and I met a Filipino missionary family who was working in Thailand. And right there in Thailand, they were there to work with children. And they had brought three of their own children with them and they got a phone call one day. These Filipino missionaries got a phone call in Thailand from a friend of theirs over in Burma. Myanmar. And this friend said, you've got to come right now. We have a crisis. We have a problem. Please come and help us. And so they went over and they, uh, they answered the phone call. They went to that place and they stood there and they see their friend and right along with him is seven little children. And these seven little children are standing right there. And he says, their parents have all died in the war in the last two months. Six, seven, eight-year-old kids. If we don't do something with these children right now, in the next day or so, I'm afraid what's going to happen with them. They're going to end up becoming slaves, maybe in the sex industry. They might be given weapons to help guard the border. They were right there on the Burmese-Thai border. I don't know what's going to happen. This Filipino couple followers of Jesus Christ who responded and said, here am I, send me themselves. They looked at each other and after about five seconds they knew what they needed to do. They took those kids into their home. Over the next year they brought in three more kids. They had three of their own when they came to Thailand and here they have 13. And then I went to visit them about seven years ago now. And when I stood there visiting them, they shared with me this story they said, why don't we get around uh, Uncle Don and share a, a song with him? They had, they had, they had uh, taught them English, and they taught them a song, a praise song in English. And they stood around me, and they sang the song that includes the, the phrase, He's my prince of peace, and I will live my life for him. You know, these are 
These are children. Imagine. Little children that should have, or in the context of war, in the context of crisis, in the context of, of, of being orphans because their parents were all dead, they, 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 should have, they should have landed someplace else. But here they were, worshiping God. Why? Because Filipino missionaries had come and had shared the gospel with them. God's heart is beating for the nations. And the story repeats itself time and time and time again throughout Scripture. Let's go back to our story. Jonah, inside the whale, inside the great fish, prays. He prays, Lord, what I have vowed to do, what I have pledged to do, what I have promised to do, I will do. And he got to that point through an interesting path. The path of downward, the path of trial, the path of difficulty, the path of pain. If you look at, the, if you look at Jonah chapter 1 and 2, there's a very interesting artistic dynamic or artistic sense within this book. And you have, have the prophet Jonah who goes down. In, it, it's this idea of down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down below the deck of the ship. He's thrown overboard. This idea of downward or trapped or hemmed in. In the ESV we read in chapter 2, For you cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Your waves, your billows passed over me. The waters closed in to take my life. Verse 5. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed me in forever. Jonah finds himself in the lowest possible place of his life. He describes something that at the root or the, the foot of the mountains, down in the deepest parts of the sea, He's saying this inside, inside a fish in great blackness, in, in total darkness. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else that he could do. Totally surrounded, totally black, totally, totally in, 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 in the de deepest place that he could be. And what did he do? He looked up at God. He looked up at God. And he said, yet you, Lord, bring my life up from the pit. When my life was fainting away, I remembered you, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. You know, Jonah stands as a great example to us. Life may sometimes feel like it can't get any lower. The crises that we see around us, culture wars, our own depression, our anxieties, COVID and the world's handling of it has scarred us. It scared us. I don't even know where I want to go next. Fears, wars, terror, we maybe feel like we've gotten to that same place of darkness, that same place of being at the lowest place we possibly can be. And Jonah gives us an example of what we need to do. Look up and repent. Before, 
before we gather together in chapel on Wednesday, I want to encourage all of you to spend some time thinking about maybe where you are today, the place that you specifically are at. Maybe, maybe you have gone down into the same place as Jonah. Maybe not through blatant disobedience, but the circumstances around have created bitterness or anger or, or different issues in our own lives. Ask the Lord to help you to take the next step, just like Jonah did. He took the next step. He repented of his sin. And God used him powerfully. Take some time. Go to Psalm 139 and ask the Lord, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Spend some time with the Lord, asking him, where are those places in my life that are, that are like Jonah? And help me to take the next step, the step of, of, of uh, repentance. You know, Jonah took that next step. And what's the result? Chapter 3, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. And just like the first time, but now he obeyed the word of the Lord and he went. And what does the passage go on to say? He travels through that city and he begins to preach a very important message. He says, 40 more days and the city will be overturned. And what happened? The Ninevites believed. But not just a simple revival or repentance. From the greatest to the least. The news reached the king of Nineveh and he rose on his throne and took off his robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the, in the dust. He, he made a declaration that everyone from the greatest to the least shall fast and cry out to the Lord and repent and give up their evil ways. Verse 8, and give up their violence. The greatest revival in all of Scripture takes place right here in the city of Nineveh. Where did it come from? Of course, God brings about the revival. But it came from the simple step of the prophet who at first ran from God. But then he said, that which I promised, I will do. And he went and he preached a very simple message. And there was the greatest revival of all times. I look out at this audience and I see the next generation, like my kids, and I think, God is going to use you in powerful ways to make an impact for the gospel among the nations. God's heart beats for the nations. And God's heart beats for each of us and wants us to respond, wants us to be a part of his great kingdom work. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you right now for the book of Jonah. Thank you for its message. And even though we've only looked briefly at what is there, Father, help us to learn from the example of Jonah. Jonah, who was disobedient, but took that first step and went and you used him powerfully. Father, you want to use us in powerful ways, I know. And so, Father, over the course of this week, help us to open up our eyes to see how you are at work among the nations in powerful and mighty ways and to think about how we might be a part of that. But, Father, I pray that you will just help us to take 
the next step, the first step. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you sent your son for us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us the privilege of being able to share that truth among those who don't know you. Thank you, Lord, for this time. And bless the remainder of our day. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.